This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Is there such a thing as a just war? Could nonviolence have worked against even the most evil regimes in history? In his latest book, Nonviolence, 25 Lessons from the History of a Dangerous Idea, our guest today, Mark Kurlansky, discusses nonviolence as a distinct entity, a course of action rather than a mere state of mind. Drawing from history 25 provocative lessons on the subject, Kurlansky shows how much of the hard work necessary to begin a movement to end war is already complete. Kurlansky is also the New York Times best-selling author of 1968, The Year That Rocked the World, Salt, A World History, and Cod, a biography of the fish that changed the world. Mark Kurlansky, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thanks for having me. Well, good to have you with us. How are you doing today? What's... Uh, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day here in New York. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, We've, we've had some calls there recently where I, I think the temperatures were high, the humidity was high, and, and uh, the energy was... It was, was high, too, though. You know? It was low, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing to complain about today. Oh, <laughs> Very good. Now, uh, what inspired you to write nonviolence? Did you get any inspiration from the, uh, the book on 1968? Well, um, I, I would say that an influence on both books were my experiences uh, during the Vietnam War, which uh-huh. I was uh, very much opposed to. Um, uh, nonviolence is, is something that I've been contemplating since I was uh, a kid growing up in a in, in a neighborhood where boys spent way too much time fighting. Uh, did you consider yourself one of them? Were you- <laughs> well, I was one of them, whether yeah. I wanted to be or not. I, was, <laughs> I, I hated fighting. I was a, a fairly large kid, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, people always wanted to see if they could take the big guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I Uh-oh. just hated fighting, and I spent a lot of time as a kid thinking, you know, how do you, how do you stop this? <laughs> did, you, did you take a lot of blows? Was that what you <laughs> Well, I, 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 I didn't take blows, but I, I figured out that if you didn't give blows, they would eventually, yeah. they would decide there was something wrong with you, but they'd go away. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I, you know ducked punches and blocked punches. Um, I didn't see the point in getting too banged up. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the point that I discovered fairly early in life was that um, if you don't cause harm to other people, you know, you have a basis of negotiation. But there is a, a difference, though, between uh, what you've talked about in this book and, and pacifism, nonviolence and pacifism. Could you yes, talk very, a little about very that? much so. Of course, a, a pacifist could also engage in nonviolence, but uh, pacifism is uh, uh, being uh, opposed to violence. Uh, it can mean resistance or it can mean non-resistance, but nonviolence is a means of resistance where violence is not used. Mm. So that if you look at um, some of the famous uh, practitioners of nonviolence, such as Gandhi or Martin Luther King, they were political activists. Uh, They were all about 
uh, pushing a political agenda. They were all about uh, resistance, about doing something. Uh, uh, they weren't uh, passive, which, of course, isn't, you know, people, the problem with the word pacifism is that it, it, it does, it, it's, uh, root comes from the word for peace. It doesn't come from the word for passive, but people confuse it. No. But, well, but nonviolence does not imply being passive at all. Well, you're, it, 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 is a, it is a way of being active. And and it's 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 an unusual word, I think, too, given that uh, it, there's there's a negative. <laughs> it's it's yeah, what well, you're it, not it's doing. It's a fascinating thing that there is absolutely no language on earth in which there is a positive word for nonviolence. A, a, you know, a proactive word. Mm-hmm. In every language, the word is just the negation of violence. Um, because of Gandhi, a lot of people like the word uh, ahimsa, but it turns it turns out that. Uh, it's the same thing that himsa is violence and us the negation of it. So it is, in fact, also nonviolence. Um, so <clears throat> I ask myself: Suppose I lived in a world in which there uh, was a a word for nonviolence, but there was no word for violence other than non the other word. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. kind of a world would that be? It would be a world in which not being violent was the normal way of going about things, and being violent was the aberration. Unfortunately, we live in a world that's just the opposite. All right. How, well, go ahead, Mike. Well, I, I just, that, that, that's an in, such an interesting concept in the, in the idea, the, the linguistics of this, is that you, there, aren't, there is no word for nonviolence. Does that speak to some kind of primordial sensibil- sensibility that people have that violence is is necessary that violence is somehow so uh, intricately a part of our our psyche that we don't yeah. even think about another an alternative word for it. Yeah, except it, not primordial because language isn't primordial. Yeah. Language is, is is evolving. It's cultural. Right. Uh, so I think it speaks to something in, in, in our culture that accepts violence as, as a way of acting and doesn't accept nonviolence. Uh, um, now, I was recently giving a talk about this in Washington, D.C., and somebody asked me, um, you know, how can you talk people into nonviolent activism when, you know, after all, you do this stuff and you can get hurt? And I said, well, how do they talk people into war? But you see, we don't even think don't about ask it. that question. We don't even think about it in those terms. Right. Well, and I guess so, and what you're saying, which I find fascinating, is as we evolve, as we grow and evolve, and we, and we come to realize that uh, there are possibilities beyond this uh, kind of very raw and uh, destructive uh, uh, impulse on our part, that that is part of what we need to be looking at in terms of uh, nonviolence, uh, that you say nonviolence uh, is uh, the lack of nonviolent behavior or uh, action is a, is a failure of imagination. Or is it imagination in coming up with creative ways? Is, is, yeah, I, I mean, um, nonviolence yeah, takes a lot more imagination, a lot more creativity, also a lot more courage um, than violence. Yeah. And I think that is the reason why people... Uh, tend to turn to violence rather than nonviolence. It's easier. Mm-hmm. You know, the easiest thing to do when confronted with this guy is punch him in the mouth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but 
the question is, is it the most effective thing to do? Um, uh, a lot of people argue that it's just in our nature to be violent. I don't think it's in our nature to be violent. I think it's just a, a, a solution that appears to be easier. Is there a godfather of nonviolence? Is there someone back in history, you think, who's, who, who really planted the seeds of nonviolence? Or is this something that's always been an option and, and we've just <laughs> overridden it with violence? Well, it, you know, it... it it's something that's been discussed and promoted since, you know, earliest recorded history. But, uh, you know, one of the first great proponents of it, and there were many great proponents of it, but one of the first who, you know, is, is still very much with us as a voice is Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. um, uh, who was very clear on this. I, all... Uh, Religions, all of the established religions, have a stand on nonviolence, um, and at some point say that violence is wrong and that killing is wrong. Uh, but they also say other things that make it more complicated and ambiguous. Uh, Jesus Christ was very unambiguous. I mean, that's what he was all about, was, was taking Judaism and stating it in a very unambiguous way, Judaism being a very complex and ambiguous <laughs> uh, school of thought. Uh, you know, he was very unambiguous about, you know, you, you don't do violence, you don't do things to harm your fellow man. Right. And there, there have been two things that, that uh, I read uh, that you've written that, uh, that really kind of have allowed religions to get away with things, which is one was that because Jesus didn't specifically mention war, in his teachings, right. they have taken that and run with it. And the second part of that is that, was it Augustine who said there was such a thing as a just war? Yes. So those yes. two concepts together have essentially opened, there's been the foot in the door, if you will. Right. Now, the thing about uh, war and Jesus is, is that's it's, it's quite true. But if you follow the teachings of Jesus, it would be impossible uh, right. to, to, to conduct war. Interestingly, um, in, the, in the days of the slavery versus abolitionist argument, the pro-slave people made the same argument. They said that Christ never, never specifically banned slavery, right. uh, <laughs> uh, which, which is true, but uh, yeah. uh, the way that a slave is treated was clearly not the way that Christ said people should be treated. Right, right, right. Uh, and, well, because, but, but Augustine because, was, yeah, right, right. Augustine was a huge um, impact on, on Christianity, uh, a revision of, of Jesus, really, um, saying that war was acceptable uh, in, in, in certain cases if you, f- if you felt in your heart uh, that you were fighting evil. Uh, well, you know, this is, this, this is the... The, the greatest blank check that's ever been written. Yeah, uh, you can always and and everybody always has. Just you know, when they want to go to war, they make a case for the evilness of the enemy, sure. and then it's a just war. You know, you know I'm, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Mark Galansky, and the book is uh, Nonviolence: Twenty Five Lessons from History of a Dangerous, the History of a Dangerous Idea. You know, Jesus never mentioned nuclear weapons, and and so I think it's probably okay to detonate them. On, on civilian populations. What do you, what do you think, Mark? Uh, absolutely, as long as you don't harm anyone. Yeah, as long as you don't. <laughs> okay. Well, well, I, well, I hear you saying pretty much that uh, 
there is no such thing as a just war. I know I'm making a jump there, but is is uh, I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah I, I I think that just war is, um, you know, you can say that your war is just. You know, everybody thinks that their war is just. Um, uh, it's it's not. Uh, it, it doesn't really speak to anything, right? Um, it what what Augustine was doing was creating a foundation by which Christianity could work with the power of state, of politics. Yes, because Christianity, uh, which spent uh, about two hundred and eighty-five years out in the wilderness uh, as this small anti-war, anti-violence cult that would not even. Uh, would not participate in government in any way because government was intrinsically violent, and then it was adopted by the Emperor Constantine and um, embraced as a tool of state. Well, for Christianity to be a tool of state, there had to be some revision. Right. Uh, either in the way states operated or in the or in the theology of Christianity and Constantine cre- or uh, Augustine created the revision in the uh, um, in the theology saying yes you know it, it is wrong to do violence and harm to to other people uh, unless it's a just war which you also point out that Constantine didn't make Christianity the state religion but it he allowed Christians to to essentially practice without being persecuted. Yes, and and then religion. although not making it the state religion, he Was used it? it a great deal. I mean, he claimed right. to go to battle, you know, with, with, with the cross, right. and you know, be led by Jesus Christ. I mean, being led into battle by Jesus Christ is the most blatant contradiction. <laughs> yeah, and and again, I. I don't think we, you know, you just have to open up the newspaper today, and and you can hear echoes of exactly that same sentiment. You know, it's a fascinating thing, because I I write in the book about the importance of the Crusades, how much the Crusades has become the model, uh, both in the West and in the Arab world, and how Westerners are still quoting Urban II, the the Pope that announced the Crusade, and and how people like Osama bin Laden are, are still... Um, uh, quoting the uh, Muslim clerics of, of the Middle Ages. Um, and along comes the Pope, uh, what, a week or so ago, mm-hmm. and uh, does this terrible condemnation of Islam as barbarous and cruel, and, uh, um, and he apologized for it this week. And he said, I was just quoting a medieval text. And that, in fact, is what world leaders have been doing ever since the Crusades, is they've been quoting these these texts of hatred and violence from that period. Yeah, and it's no and it's no accident that people like Bin Laden and others in the Middle East uh, are are calling uh, the Americans Crusaders. Well, what's yeah, and, and 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 also, you know, I mean, George Bush uh, at one point uh, called the war on terror a, a crusade. Yeah. And then when everybody jumped on him, he, he, he backed off from it, but I think he meant it. What he said is, I didn't mean that crusade. <laughs> <laughs> I meant another crusade. Yeah. Yeah. But so. well, you think that it is intentional in a way? I mean, you seem to be saying that, uh, that Bush meant to say it until he was called on it and then backpedaled. I think that it's 
it's had a, a huge cultural impact, yeah. uh, and it is kind of in the way we think and in the way uh, states go about business, and and um, it's it's kind of there without people. Sometimes they realize it, and sometimes they don't. It, this this stuff is kind of hardwired into a lot of us, isn't it? Yeah. And this is where we. I want to get. Uh, I want to start talking a little bit about some of the ways in which you these twenty five. Um, the 25 lessons, a little bit about that. And uh, one of the things you've talked about is, is that how violence tends, if, if not always, certainly most of the time, is top-down. Violence is, is really essentially brought on by people above you in, a, in the power, power scheme, right? Right. And that's where it comes from. Um, well, it's a power play. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I mean that, that, this is why... Um, Advocates of nonviolence have always been regarded by states as, as such a threat. And uh, why, in the, my subtitle, I say a dangerous idea. It's not that I think it's a dangerous idea, but states think it's a dangerous idea. They think people who advocate this are, are tremendously dangerous because they view the power of state as the uh, the right to use violence and the right to kill people. You know, if you think about it, states reserve killing people as their exclusive privilege. Yeah, that's, uh, always, that's always been my argument against the death penalty. I refuse to give the state the power to kill me. Right. Well, that, you know, I mean, essentially, what the argument for the death penalty is that it is wrong to kill another human being. And so if you do that... The state will kill you, <laughs> right? You know, because right. the state has the right to kill people, but, but the individual doesn't. But my argument is like a lib. It's much yeah. more of a libertarian take. I, I, I'm, I refuse as killed. the electorate to give this the power yeah. to kill me to this to the state. I think you can approach it anyway. We can get off on that. But we're speaking with Mark Kolansky, the author of Nonviolence: Twenty Five Lessons from the History of a Dangerous Idea, and I believe we've been talking about lesson number four: <laughs> Once a state takes over a religion, the religion religion loses its nonviolent teachings. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and 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 this is something that has happened at one time or another to just about every religion. Um, now, you touch on a subject in this book, too, that I find fascinating. You say at one point, the case can be made that it was not the American Revolution that secured independence yeah. from Britain. And this would just fly in the face of everything we've been taught about our uh, our brave Minutemen. And, and, I, uh, I know, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. No, I'm, but, I'm yeah. fine know, with it. When you really look at it, um, uh, the the... Pro-revolution forces, who called themselves the Patriots, were extremely successful nonviolent activists um, who did uh, all of the classic nonviolent uh, things, like the Boston Tea Party, uh, in which they were very careful not to damage the ship and even replace the lock that had been broken, and uh, boycotts and all kinds of street theater and uh, all of the things that are associated with successful nonviolence. Um, and then they went to war. Yeah. So we wonder why did they go to war? And uh, John Adams, uh, towards the end of his life, said, we had won everything in 1774, which was a year before the shooting started. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were people who argued uh, in the 
Continental Congress in Philadelphia in 1776 of, you know, pro-independence people who said, let's not go to war. Uh, let's not allow this to turn into a shooting war. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this was after there had already been conquered in Lexington and Bunker Hill. And they said, you know, let's, let's quickly, you know, negotiate with the British uh, to stop this from turning into a, a shooting war. And, and Adams and Jefferson and those people were saying, um, no, let's declare our independence, do a declaration of independence. And people like John Dickinson said, bad timing. Let's not do a declaration of independence right now because it'll guarantee a war, and we can have the independence without the war. Um, so Dickinson, uh, who was at one time called the author of the American Revolution, because he wrote the Articles of Confederation, uh, voted against the Declaration of Independence, and has kind of gone down in history as a bad guy who, you know, was a Brit lover and, and didn't stand for independence. He did stand for independence. He was just against uh, war. Sounds like he was nonviolent. Right. Now, also another uh, part of our history, another war, uh, you say uh, that the abolitionist movement of Frederick Douglass and William Lloyd Garrison uh, may have won a more decisive uh, victory over slavery. Is that... uh, that I'm sorry, I I didn't quite hear that. Well, could the abolitionist movement of uh, Douglass and Garrison Uh have won a more decisive victory uh, or a decisive end to slavery without war? Yeah, um, the, the... See, this is an interesting thing also. Um, Who is the most famous abolitionist? It's John Brown, right? Mm -hmm. John Brown was a complete exception to the abolitionist movement. He was a very violent man. Almost all the other abolitionist leaders were dedicated to nonviolence, were opposed to having a civil war, were opposed to slave insurrections, did not believe that violence was the solution to things. Um, and uh, you know the, the 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 one we all remember is the one violent one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the Civil War does, uh, does it is it because it makes a somehow in our own minds makes a better story, acts of bravery, risking life and limb to do these you know noble things. Because well, because well, the idea uh, of a... it's most things in society, uh, things. What do I mean? I, I mean the education system and the, you know, the the, the 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 government which builds statues and politicians who make speeches and and, uh, you know, consumer goods, <laughs> toys for children, and movies and the entertainment industry. All of these things um, promote violence. Um, mm-hmm. Now, why do they do that? Um, I suppose in some cases, like the entertainment industry, they do think it makes a better story, although I think there's some pretty great stories of nonviolence. Um, but I think it's more it gets back to this thing about who has the active and who has the proactive word. It's just viewed that violence is the norm and nonviolence yeah. is the aberration. Yeah. Well, I want to... I yeah, bring it up to date. Yeah, I do definitely <laughs> want to bring it up to date. And let, let me remind our listeners, we're speaking with Mark Erlansky in the book, is Nonviolence, 25 Lessons from the History of a Dangerous Idea. Um, what are the modern circumstances in which you've either seen nonviolence uh, work effectively and instances where you think it could have been a, a, an effective alternative? Yeah, it, you know, it, it's in, in, in talking about how people don't really 
talk about and acknowledge uh, nonviolence, there is the fact that the 20th century, admittedly and famously one of the most violent centuries in history, was also one of the uh, centuries with the most examples of successful nonviolence. Uh, and it's very little talked about. Gandhi, of course, has talked about a great deal, and the civil rights movement, which was directly influenced by Gandhi, is talked about. But it's talked about very little that um, the Soviet Union was overthrown by nonviolence, by by political uh, activists who consciously studied Gandhi and said, what can we learn from this to oppose the Soviet Union? Um, You know, that uh, the, the Argentine junta was overthrown by women marching in the streets uh that um uh after after decades of uh violence failing to stop apartheid nonviolence um yeah. uh succeeded uh there are many examples yeah. and and it's interesting um to look around the world now and see for example uh, the Palestinians. Um, what would have happened to the Palestinians if they had embraced nonviolence? Mm-hmm. You know, the Intifada was originally supposed to be nonviolent, uh, and then they took up rock throwing. And some people still claim it's nonviolent, but you know, is is throwing rocks nonviolent, or is it just low technology? You know, <laughs> what's available? <laughs> right. Um, but suppose they were truly nonviolent. Uh, what would Israel do in the face of that? Uh, you know, Israel and and, Pal- and the Palestinians and the Israelis are just kind of are kind of locked into this thing where you know they both get their le- their moral legitimacy from the fact that the other one does violence to them. Suppose yeah. they stop that. Yeah. Uh, how would that change the arguments? Um, I, I, I think the Middle East is an astounding example of how violence doesn't work. Right. Uh, and yet both sides keep doing the same things and keep losing. Well, Mark, um, unfortunately, we've just run out of time, so uh, I want to uh, thank you for being here. Um, I want to once again uh, remind our listeners that the book is Nonviolence, 25 Lessons from the History of a Dangerous Idea. Barely scratch the surface, pick up the book. The foreword is by um, uh, His Dalai Holiness, Lama. the Dalai Lama. And uh, I'm sure, um, have you had a chance to meet him? I haven't had a chance to meet him. I've had an entirely email relationship okay, with yeah, him, but right. I think he's a great man. Well, terrific. Is that at DalaiLama.com? Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Mark uh, Karlansky, thank you so much. Uh, you, in addition to nonviolence, you've got the books, uh, the other books, Salt, the World History, Cod, the Biography of a Fish that Changed the World, and 1968, the, 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 uh, the year that rocked the world. Thank you so much for being on Weekly Signals. Thank you. It's great talking to both of you. Uh, thank you. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.